The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Welcome, everyone. Good to see you. I see a lot of familiar faces. So shall we just begin by settling in and meditating for a while while we see, wait, wait for who else wants to join us. So relax into a comfortably upright posture. Sometimes it's nice to take a deep breath in and a long exhale and relax on the exhale. Relax the shoulders. Relax the throat. Let the muscles of your face melt into the skull. Broaden your forehead, open. And relax the brain behind the forehead. the heart, open the chest, relax the arms, feeling the sensations going down the arms into the hands. And noticing when you notice the sensations of the body, that they're constantly changing.
The breath is changing. The sensations in the feet are changing. And the thighs and the calves. Now relax the entire body. And open the awareness to include the entire body. Relaxed natural, open awareness that includes the entire body and is even mingled with space. Space is like awareness. in that it's just here. Nobody created space. Space doesn't have a beginning. Or a middle. Or an end. Space is just so here. Like awareness is so here. Relax again. Just be effortless. We want to be happy. And all the components for happiness are right here, right now. Warm enough. We're safe among Dharma friends, people of goodwill. We are happy when we're given a gift. 
gifts make us happy. And we've been given such huge, such a huge gift of this present moment. This present moment is a gift that just keeps giving. The sounds of the present moment, the sensations of the present moment, the feelings and the thoughts. And the wakefulness, the mind of wakefulness. We didn't earn these gifts. They were just given to us. Free. No greater gift could possibly be given to us. The gift of this body. That can see beautiful things. It can hear. It can walk, touch, taste. Amazing. And it breathes without our effort at all. It just breathes for us keeps us alive. All these organs beneath our consciousness, the liver, the stomach, the digestive organs, all digesting our food and excreting our food beneath our consciousness, keeping us alive. Free. Every moment. We might feel gratitude for these gifts. Gratitude makes us happy. Gratitude for this gift of life, this gift of wakefulness, this gift of consciousness, this mind 
that seems to come from nowhere, can you find the beginning of his mind or the middle of his mind or the end of this mind, this consciousness? It just is like space. This intrinsic luminosity always here. Sometimes it gets covered by thoughts, by day and night. Sometimes there's day. This intrinsic wakefulness is present and apparent. And sometimes it's night, covered over. But we always come back. Thoughts always dissolve back into this vast, luminous presence. What did we do to deserve such a gift? Right here, right now, Always with us, this jewel, this precious jewel of this mind, of this awareness, of this happiness. When we appreciate this, we're grateful for it. And those feelings make us happy. Gratitude for this gift of knowing that comes out of emptiness. You can't find it. It's just here, radiant, unimpeded. Sometimes when our mind, our jewel-like mind, 
gets covered by clouds of thinking. We can utter this precious phrase. May I be relieved of suffering. And the heart of compassion emerges. Simple phrase. We all know that so well. May I be free of suffering. The heart of compassion and the clouds disappear for a while and we can re-inhabit this beautiful realm of just being awake. Last month, we explored this mind in a contemplation of dying in your last week, your last day, lying in your bed when there's really not much to think about. There's nowhere to go. And nothing to do. The mind of not becoming, not doing, just being. And it reveals itself. It's said that people are most peaceful the last six months of their lives when All the worries and the concerns, the future, worries, concerns about the future, what someone, what they think of me, and what will I become, what's going to happen, are no longer there. And we can relax all of those clouds can dissipate. Okay. Thank you. So it's so good to see everyone. And a special welcome to those of you who are new. And just to let you know, if you are new, we do have small groups as well. Small groups that meet. Um, We have a lot of them. 
groups of six or seven, and uh, the format is similar to the format here, but just a lot more group discussion and a lot of lot of small group, a lot of lot of uh, yeah group discussion because it's it's small. So if that interests you, let us know. So I hope everyone has some paper and something to write with. And um, there was an assignment. Uh, The assignment was, and if you didn't do your assignment, you can do it now. But it it, it was to um, create four categories. And the four categories are, who are the four most precious people in your life? That's the first category. Second category is who, what are the four most meaningful roles that you play in your life give your give your life purpose give your life value it looks like some of you didn't do your assignment because <laughs> you're writing right now which is great that's fine and the third uh category is um Four things, material things that are the most important to you in your life. And then the last one is the four activities that you do that are the most meaningful for you, most precious to you. Four activities. Okay, does everyone have that? I'll give you a few minutes to do that. Are there any questions about that? If there are, you could just unmute yourself and speak up. Um, yeah. Okay. What's your question? Um, I, I, I arrived just now because I had... Um, oh, okay. Okay, so just write down the four most precious people in your life, most meaningful roles, four activities that you do, and things, material things that are the most precious to you. Okay. Things, people, and roles. Okay. Yeah, people, activities, roles, and things. And make a list of each of those, of four in each. And look over your list. This is your life. 
these are the people that you love. These are the things that you love to do most. These are the roles that are meaningful for you. This is your life in front of you on that piece of paper. Not all of your life, but Could you raise your hand if you're not if you're not finished, if you need more time? Looks like everybody is okay. All right. So now cross off one in, of each list. that how do you feel we can grieve the loss grieve it fully you still have three in each category. So look at what you have left. This is still maybe a pretty good life for you. Wonderful life for you with these three that are left. You lost some precious things but you still have most of them. And now, cross off the first one in every category. How do you feel? If 
probably the most important one. since it was first. Just look at your list, look at what you've lost, and look at what you have left. Grieve your loss fully. But notice you still have these two in each category. Appreciate them. And now cross them off. Cross off all of them. There's this poem uh, by Jennifer Wellwood that uh, maybe most of you did read. It's called The Dakini Speaks. A Dakini is a divine being, a heavenly being, a wise being. My friends, let's grow up. Let's not Let's stop pretending we don't know the deal here. Or if we truly haven't noticed, let's wake up and notice. Look, everything that can be lost will be lost. It's so simple. How could we have missed it for so long? Let's grieve our losses fully like ripe human beings. But please, let's not be shocked by them. Let's not act so betrayed as though life had broken her secret promise to us. Impermanence is life's only promise to us. And she keeps it with ruthless Impeccability. To a child, she seems cruel, but she's only wild, and her compassion 
exquisitely precise. Her compassion, exquisitely precise. Brilliantly penetrating, luminous with truth. She strips away the unreal to show us the real. This is the true ride. Let's give ourselves to it. Let's stop making deals for a safe passage. There isn't one anyway, and the cost is too high. We are not children anymore. The true human adult gives everything for what cannot be lost. The true human adult gives everything for what cannot be lost. What does that mean to you? This is the true ride, she says. The true ride. Let's give ourselves to it. There's a great Theravadan master, Ajahn Sumedho, named his first monastery Amarvate. Amarvate means abode of the deathless. The Buddha said, come and look, come and see, the gates to the deathless are open. So let's go into some small groups and... uh, Maybe just settle for a minute here now. Just settle for in quiet. Meditate for. Take this in. What's happening with you? How is this landing on you? Is it inspiring in any way? Is it confusing? So when we go into small groups, we can talk about what strikes you about this. What, yeah.
this is aroused in you. Okay? So we'll have groups of four or five. And um, maybe better to have groups of three or four. I don't know. Can we do that, Joe? Three or four? Whatever. Yeah. And, and then uh, take about maybe 12 minutes. Okay. And I think Joe will put some of the prompts. Joe is our new benefactor, our new, new Zoom tech benefactor. Many, many bows to Joe. Um, so we'll see you back in about uh, 12 minutes. I hope you have a wonderful discussion and uh, Remember to keep the conversational space equal. You can always, we can always go around and come back to you. About three minutes for each person. David, I was putting uh, this thing into chat. So um, how long, how many people in the room again, please? Three to four. Okay. Okay, here we go. Okay, welcome back. So, please share what what was said in your small group. What inspired you? What did you find clarifying? Did you find confusing? How did this land on you? And um, yeah, we just love to hear whatever you're willing to offer us. You are unmuted. Go ahead and unmute yourself, Alice. Okay, so first I want to say there were supposed to be three people in the group, but one of them wasn't real. So there were only two of us. That was the bad news and the good news. <laughs> so I just want to suggest that we have larger groups when next time we break out into the small groups. Four or five seems like good, but I really um, appreciated um, my partner in this exercise. Alice, when you say one of them wasn't real, uh, could you? She wasn't there. Now, Kumi is not really on this on this oh, call. She didn't show. Okay. All right. Well, we'll do that from now on. We'll do four to five. Okay. Thank you. Someone else? All, all, hello? Yeah. Please. Can't hear you, though. Oh, okay. I think also Fred has his hand up. Maybe I'll go after Fred. Is that okay? I think he's had his okay. hand up. Fred, please. Yeah. One of the things that came up in our group was the opportunity to reflect on these things gave us an indication of the things to which we are attached or the things to which we cling. And uh, that was an, an insightful experience. Did it, did it inspire anything in you, uh, Fred? You saw that? Well, it was a matter for further reflection. 
with a reflection. Okay. I don't know that I would call it inspiration, but uh, certainly reflection on uh, on uh, the things that I am attached to, and to explore why I'm attached to them. Mm -hmm. Okay, Ali, please. Yeah, hi, thanks. A couple of things. First of all, I think uh, that three is a good number for the group uh, because actually 10 minutes or so uh, have enough time to go around. So I think that's the perfect number for the group, uh, even like that. That's my preference. Okay. Uh, not the four or anything because there's not really any time. Uh, for. Uh, for us in that group was that for me, it was sharing that the, uh, the, the group shared about actually the debt that they had both seen in their lives and then how it impacted them. But I took a little different uh, route, just seeing in like midlife, if you will, uh, towards the end for me, uh, uh, what is it that I really need to uh, let go of or die? What's it that we, I need to die before? Uh, and the fear came out. Uh, Basically, the fear of the COVID and then the other stuff that's out there, uh, even though vaccinated. But then the courage can, uh, you know, perhaps it will give its uh, place to the courage uh, to show up more in the world. Uh, so, uh, yeah, little debts, not that little, not, not, not for me anyway, that, that part. But the momentary debts that, you know, the, the, invite, the Dharma invites us to do. So how inspiring that is, and doing and dancing our own, you know, dance in this life. Before yeah. I speak for myself, before I go. Thank you. So the courage, you say. Yes, welcoming the courage and just letting go of the fear. Yeah. That showed up for me. Yeah. Thank you, Stephen. I would uh, say that that. Uh, uh, I did do the whole the homework, David. I, uh, I read it, I thought it out, and then I read the poem, and it didn't mean that much to me. It was like, well, this Dakini old Buddhist poetry stuff. Who cares? But the the magic of Zoom. I'm so grateful to you and all the effort that you put into this because when you read that poem, it just hammered into me. Yeah. And I've been to funerals lately, and, and my sister's husband has died, and I've seen all this drama, and I and I and I feel what the hell? Why do why can't we be think about this stuff and, and be ready? Right? We get ready for everything else. Why not this? Yeah. And so I'm really grateful to the effort that you and yours put into this, and, and to have been with the three ladies today. I like my four group. I heard, I learned a lot from them. But thank you. Thank you, Stephen. Great. Someone else, please. Charlotte? You need to unmute. Sorry. Can you hear me now? Yes. Yeah. Um, I realize that a lot of the things that I put down um, in terms of material things were things that held memories for me. Um, my mother's signet ring, um, for instance, and that they held memories which 
To let go of those memories, I think, would be very hard. To let go of the actual material things, I didn't find uh, particularly difficult. But because they were attached to those memories, and I think that's something I've got to think about as well. And the people I put down, two of them were dead. Um, And so in a way, they're still with me, but I'm beginning to internalize those memories does that does that make sense to you um and also the activities um i realized that a couple of them i put down were ones that i used to do but i can't any longer um and so i'm already beginning to realize that life is a process of letting go yeah absolutely so thank you yeah, thank you. Someone else, please. Gail has her hand up. Gail, please. Oh, get, need, you need to unmute Gail. Um, the last line of the poem was, it, it has to do with the wild dance of no hope. Is that, is that right? Um, was, was, what we were oh, there was um let's this is the true ride let's give ourselves to it and the the true human adult gives everything for what cannot be lost and that that's an interesting thing to consider what what yeah. you know the deathless what does that mean to you and what cannot be lost and what does that mean the true ride how would that be to ride the true ride but anyhow, uh, I want to hear your reflections, please. Well, that is, that is what we were contemplating. Because uh, I put down meditating as one of the activities that then I had to cross off. And I thought, oh, you mean I can't even meditate? <laughs> um, and then I thought, well, yeah, that's possible when I'm dying. I might be, um, I might not have my mind. <laughs> Where I might be in extreme pain, or it might be a car crash, or something. Where, um, but and I, you know, I have in the past had a fear of that, of dying in a car crash, for example, and not being able, or or in so much pain that I can't um, calm myself and. Um, but where it brought me, and I think others in our group too is is just well okay so what is left and and we were we were trying words like like deathless and and awareness and uh, but not my awareness but just awareness um and um it, it just um it, it's it, it is inspiring to me because knocks out all my logical thinking um, and calls for what seems like faith or, or trust um, and, and certainly openness. Trust, yeah. Yeah. Trust the true ride. Trust the deathless. Trust awareness. Just trust knowing. Trust consciousness. 
So e- even if I'm not conscious, right? Even if I, yeah, not aware as as I usually think of that, still I can trust in awareness. Awareness can be trusted. Thank you, Gail. Randy. Yeah, thank you, David. I found this to be really powerful and particularly brought me through several stages of, of, um, of powerful feelings. Some of those were sadness and loss and, and contemplation on, on loss and the necessity and, and sort of naturalness of loss. Uh, another interesting thing that came up for me was kind of this sense of existential absurdity. I, through this illumination of various items on my list, I, I ended off crossing, I ended up crossing off cycling, but I was still left with my racing bicycle. And it just struck me that there was something very meaningful about the lack of predictability, the uncertainty, and even the, you know, kind of humorous absurdity of, of how we lose things and what we lose, despite the inevitability. Thank you. Okay, maybe one more. Okay, Trudy, please. You need to unmute Trudy. I know you're saying wonderful things, but we can't hear you. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. Is that okay? Yes. Okay. Wonderful things. <laughs> I'm saying wonderful things. Um, I just had a thought that I'm left with the question, uh, what cannot be lost? And it seems to me that what cannot be lost is my connection to the divine. And what would I hold on to and give up that connection? And I can't think of anything. Beautiful. Thank you. Other words for the deathless in scripture are, well, the divine is wonderful. That's not in Buddhist scripture, but it's it's very nice. The unborn, the unconditioned, the unoriginated, I'm sure there are others, but I can't think of anything else. The gates to the deathless are open. Come and see. That was the Buddha's invitation. So, um, thank you all. Thanks so very much. And um, let's take a little break. Um, Let's try for seven minutes. See if that's possible. So that would mean coming back at, I don't know, I... 12, 12, something like that. If you can try to come close to that, that would give us time to do what else we need to do today.
So, David, are we back? Um, I'm just looking at a lot of... Um, I think you could go ahead and start. It's, it seems like there are some people that are accumulating. Um, maybe wait a couple more minutes. Yeah, yeah. Did you um, mention that about Robert not being here? Is that? I didn't. I, yeah, maybe I will when they yeah. when I introduce Vicky. I will. Yeah, please. <clears throat> that was a mistake. I I think it's okay now. Okay. So, uh, when um, David had spoken with me earlier about what he was planning to share and with the group, um, it was interesting that I had uh, just recently been inspired and came across a guided meditation on um, contemplation of death, but it was very different than uh, the contemplations within our tradition that I had done in the past, which was um, contemplating the body uh, after death and and the changes. This, um, and I'll just explain, I'm going through a, a life change of uh, downsizing and moving uh, away from my home uh, in the next little while. So there's this big change uh, on the material level. And what I came across uh, was a guided meditation uh, by a um, Zen teacher in Oregon. Her name is... Uh, Chosen Bays. Um, and I found it on the Insight Timer I use every day to log my meditation. And uh, it really uh, deeply affected me, and I want to share it with you, in that in contemplating our death, it was similar to David's reflection on losing things, but this was looking at all the things in our lives. Um, so I, ca- I cannot do her meditation justice. I will send a link after our meeting today. I think it's quite beautiful just to listen to her voice and her clarity. Um, but uh, maybe I'll share just the gist of this contemplation and looking at... Uh, Everything that we can put on the outside of our life. This is me, mine, and uh, I own this. I've created this. I've used this. I've consumed this. All this stuff. And um, where does it go? So in her first encouraging, if we could just sit and be sort of maybe close our eyes, sort of visualize that we're here in the body now, 
breath is here. Sensations in the body. And just to relax. With being right here. And then to visualize a pile, (laughs) a mountain maybe, of all the things in your life that you've bought or made. And that's clothing, books, cars, furniture. Bicycles, garden equipment, whatever. What is this pile of what was once treasures, what was used, everything? Reminded me of the local park here in the Bay Area. It's now turned into a park, but it's actually acres and acres covering the the old dump. (laughs) It's all those things that were owned, used by people. It's a mountain. So what is this pile of things, the precious and the not precious of a lifetime? How high? How wide? And then to let that image go and what remains is what you own now. Right now. The car, the beds, the sheets, the coffee makers, the books, the artwork. All things right now in your life. Everything in the garage, the storage unit, (laughs) all of it. And then chosen in her meditations, says, now imagine you die suddenly, peacefully, no pain, you just collapse. But your awareness remains. Awareness and curiosity looking at this pile of stuff. And you watch what happens now to all these things. Does your family take stuff? 
your friends? Is it sold? Donated? Landfill? All the things. How are they dispersed? Where do they go? And also, look at the body. Your body, now dead. Where does it go? How is it dispersed? And then she asks us to look at these things in 10 years. Where are they? Where is the body? In 50 years. In a hundred years. Where are all these creations, poems, artwork, furniture, memorabilia, What has happened to all these things? And then She asks us to look at those causes that we cared about, that we worked for, that we cared about, you know, social justice or environmental causes, poverty, education. What is carried forward a year from now? Ten years. Fifty years. What has gone forward of those causes you worked for and cared about? And to be aware of thoughts, all the thoughts and ideas of the body's life. Where are those thoughts? Where are they now, 10 years from now, 50 years?
were any of those thoughts carried forward. And she moves from the concrete to looking at you know, causes, thoughts, and then emotions. What emotions did you express? Anger or frustrations or uh, disappointment. Where is that now? The body's gone. Things are gone. Were those emotions that you expressed to others, are they carried forward? A year from now? Ten years? Fifty years? The love you felt and all that you gave to the people, the things, the beings that you gave your love to. Where is that? Was that love carried forward? A year after the death of your body. Was that love carried forward 10 years after the death of this body. The last contemplation is all the spiritual practices that we have done or explored in this body's life. The practices of metta, insight, spacious awareness, compassion. Those practices that we shared with others, are they carried forward? A year from now a year from the death of this body? Are those practices that we shared and gave to others, are they carried forward 10 years? And then She asks to come back to the body. Here we are. This breath, these sensations, and feeling what could we change about our priorities? In this life now, is there something we would want to change? Mm 
in what matters and what has value. So, thank you. Thank you. I actually, for me, I found it quite liberating to just um, think about uh, releasing (laughs) what can be released and what will be released when this body is no longer here, just by the nature of how things are. So I wondered if we uh, could maybe go into groups and just uh, maybe think about her question of what would or could you change? What would be a priority in our lives now? What's of value? So... Joe, I don't know if you'd like to, or just how the contemplation went for you. Maybe just share that. David, is that, will we have time for that? Um, yes, yeah. So maybe 10 minutes. So we just, we want to just have some open discussion now. About- okay, if we've got time, that'd be wonderful. So um, if anyone cares to share, uh, it'd be wonderful to hear from you. And if not, we'll move on to the next sharing. Oh, um, as you may have noticed, Robert uh, could not come today. So we have a guest speaker. Her name is Vicki Pollard. She's a longtime practitioner. She's gone to many long retreats at uh, IMS, and uh, she happens also to be my sister. So, um, and she's from Maine. So it'll be nice to hear a different, a different voice from outside of our community. A lot of you are outside of our IMC community. This one's very outside. She's from Blue Hill, Maine. So Vicky, please thank you for thank you for joining us and helping us out. So um, I'm very pleased to be with all of you. I've been with you many times because I love this senior sangha. I I think it's just um, a remarkable way for all of us to think about these incredibly deep issues about 
growing old and dying. And the two practices that were introduced by David and Fiona were both so beautiful. I want to talk about um, generosity. So probably many of you have heard a lot about generosity because we know about it as Donna. So if you've been on retreats, at the end of the retreats, there's often a talk given about the importance of Donna, how to give generously from our hearts. But a great teacher that some of you might know, Ajahn Suchito, I once heard him say, Donna is so much, generosity, Donna is so much more than just giving financially. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the somewhat more that generosity can be. In the Theravadan tradition, there are 10 paramitas, or no, it's in the in Theravada, in Theravada, it's paramis. And in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, they're called paramitas. In, and there are six of the paramitas. And in both, the first one is generosity. And I think of generosity really as the beginning, middle, and ending of the path. And I'll be saying a few things about how this, how generosity has impacted me. But just to begin with, to say that um, I struggled a lot of time, a lot in my life, I struggled with whether I was selfish. And I don't know if others of you ever had that. I think some people have that big question about themselves and other people don't. But for me, even as, as I think as a very small child, I was like, I knew there must be something more. And so I felt this place of feeling like there was something wrong and that I was selfish. I wasn't kind enough. I wasn't loving enough. And um, when I was about 12 years old, I read a book called The Nun's Story. It was a popular book at the time. And it was really, I think it was the first step for me onto the spiritual path. It was a little awkward because I grew up in a family that was Jewish. But I really wanted to embody being a nun. So I started walking with my head down and my arms and my sleeves. And it's, it's very tender, very tender image because it was how much I wanted to feel this quality of generosity, to be giving, to be loving. I think for many people, um, we find ourselves coming to Buddhism, coming to this practice out of those feelings of some kind of insufficiency or a lack of self-worth. Some way that we know there's something bigger and better that's possible for us. And we're given so many gifts, just the way David expressed, gifts in the Dharma of all the various practices that help us know that we are that so much more. 
that we are Buddha nature, that we look into our own face and see, oh, I am the divine. I am the Buddha. When I peel away all the layers that keep me from knowing that about myself and keep me from acting from that place. One of the teachers I know, uh, he, he kind of divides the practice into two different parts. The first part he talks about is learning to be a healthy human being. So that's the first thing we all have to do in order to make progress on the path. So whatever those feelings of the lack of self-worth or not being good enough, those have to be addressed. And in the aspect of that, we're meant to find what he calls as essence love, that we are essentially lovable and we are essentially loving. And from that, generosity can emerge. The second part that he teaches is the part that um, really emphasizes generosity as a transcendent quality, something that goes beyond, beyond um, day-to-day life, um, takes us past what we would limit ourselves with. And for me, hearing about generosity in this very large, big way was a huge paradigm shift in my life. It, that I started understanding that just trying to find happiness for myself is not what could bring me happiness. There's a quote from a great master called Shanti Davis, Shanti Deva, and this quote is, all the suffering in the world comes from seeking pleasure for myself. All the happiness in the world comes from wishing others to be happy. When I first heard this quote, I, I was really upset. I was really, I was really mad. It was like, wait a minute, my whole life, you know, up till that point had been how to get myself together, how to get myself to be a good enough person. And now I'm being told that I have to give things away. I, I couldn't wrap my head around it. It was really something brand new for me as a way of what it is to be a human being, which is what I think the practice is all about. It's teaching us what it is to be a human being and what it can be, how we can grow into something a lot more about being a human being. I had a dear friend who is in the practice and she had a similar response to, to mine. And she said to me that she grew up believing that the right way to live was to put yourself first. And isn't that what our culture teaches us? We live in a culture that's all about 
putting myself first, about greed. And what she said to me, with she was crying when she said this, and she said she even chose not to have children because she didn't want to have to put someone else's needs ahead of hers. And then she said, imagine my shock learning that the greatest happiness there is in life is letting go of my self-centeredness to care for others. It took me a while to understand that Shantideva quote, but when I did really take it in and understand it, that it was a huge leap in my practice, seeing that giving to others is really what makes me happy. This is, there's a subtle line here because we do have to take care of ourselves. We do have to be self-centered in many ways in order to give to others. But the balance has been off, at least in my life and I assume for most of us. There's a story about the Buddha's generosity that maybe some of you have heard um, it's a pretty startling story. So this was, it's a Jataka tale about one of the Buddha's lifetimes. And in this story, the Buddha came across a tigress who had given birth to many cubs and she was too weak to feed her cubs. So having transcendent compassion, he lay down inviting her to just eat him so that she had enough energy to feed her cubs. She was too weak to do that. So he cut his arm open and dribbled into her, this is a story, but, and dribbled into her mouth his blood so that she could get enough strength so that she could feed her, her little cubs. So if this is the first time you've heard this story, I'm sure you're feeling a little, what? You know, it's pretty wild. Um, there's a wonderful teacher, Ken McLeod, who has this to say about the story. He says, this is a terrible story because it leaves you terrified at the possibility that to be truly human may take you far beyond your own biological conditioning. It is an awful story because it fills you with awe bypassing your intellect and rational understanding and connecting you directly with a depth of compassion you never considered. That's the transcendent quality of generosity, doing something that is beyond anything we, could, we might ever have considered. There are lots of other stories um, from the sports world. I don't know if any of you have come across these, but there are such beautiful stories of people racing. And one story in particular, a man who was, didn't speak English missed the signs and he started going somewhere else. And someone who was far behind him came up and guided him to the finish line. And he, that he stayed behind him so the other man could finish. And when asked, why didn't you just win? He said, what kind of a victory would that have been? So that's going beyond the, the me first that we all have grown up with. So there are three levels of generosity. 
One is giving of material things, food, shelter. And that's something probably most of us have done, especially like during the pandemic, giving things to people that couldn't afford them. A gift of fearlessness, helping those who are afraid. This is something I relate to as a mother. I always would want to help my children not be afraid. And the last level of giving is a gift of the Dharma, our own practice, our own speaking the truth as we have come to know it and how that can change other people's lives. So the deepest level of generosity is understanding that there is no self. There is no me and there is no you. So if I'm giving, I'm giving to you and it's giving to me at the same time. And it's knowing that we're all connected. So that level of giving that keeps us connected, that knows that there's no such thing as separation is the aspect of the deepest level of generosity. I'll end with just saying that for me to be able to give means that I know that I have enough. I am enough. I'm filled with my own essence love, my own well-being. So I have much to give to others. So thank you for listening. Thank you, Vicki. Beautiful. And um, yeah. It's getting to be time to end. Is anybody inspired to say anything? Any last minute words before we sign off? About something that Fiona might have brought up or something that Vicky brought up? So... This gesture of, of sharing merit, giving, giving away the merit that we've accumulated today is, I think, what Vicky's talking about. It's, it's transcendent giving. We always do this. We, we, we have accumulated a lot of merit here today. The merit of well-being, uh, being with each other, sharing with each other. The, maybe you felt some feelings of kindness and love or mutual sympathy or maybe some wisdom has entered into you from what's what's happened with you today, hearing others, sharing your own wisdom. So some merit has been accumulated here. And what we traditionally do with the merit that we've accumulated is we give it away. Just give it away. Give it to all beings everywhere. So may, may we benefit from the wisdom that we've accumulated today and everything else. And may, may all of us um, mutually share that merit and carry that merit with us to our loved ones, to our friends, to people that we meet after this group is over. May, may this merit be with us and our open hearts and our open minds 
and may it be a benefit to all beings everywhere, filter out everywhere. May all beings be liberated from suffering. May all beings be happy. May all beings, I forget the way way Jennifer Wellwood described it, but abiding in, abiding in what cannot be lost, abiding in joy. And may all beings abide in equanimity, free from all attachments and all aversions. So thank you all. Thank you all for coming. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. you. Lovely to be with you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you, David. Thank you, Vicki. <laughs> Thank you. And thank you so much, Joe. So I'm going to sign this out. Okay, Joe. Yeah, bye. Bye Bye-bye.